Father, um, ask that we would be able to focus on you today. That you would help us grow from head to heart knowledge. That there wouldn't be a perspective of playing church, but we would uh, truly grow in you. Pray that you give us ears to hear today and eyes to see, hearts with fertile soil, minds to comprehend, and feet that want to run with obedience. Blessed today. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the things that did come up in the prayer meeting before church was this idea of, as an American church, as a local church, as individuals, have we been playing church? Do we play church? Or are we intimately connecting with God? So I think that's just a rhetorical question that we all have to ask. Are we playing church? Are you playing church today? Have you played church today? Because, you know, the fact of the matter is, is there's a lot of, there's many good things to, or better things to do if we're just going to play church, right? I mean, you could be at home making a casserole right now. So let's not play church today. Let's be serious about seeking him, about desiring him and wanting to be with him. Nevertheless, throughout this series, we have learned many things. We have learned what grace has done for us, and we have learned what grace has done to us. Now, as Mark Miller shared several weeks ago, we could talk about grace every week. And actually, grace is in every sermon every week, amen? Our perspective of what grace is, if we've only limited it, that's where we only find it. So we've learned many things. One of the things that we've learned is grace has saved us. Amen? Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, we've mentioned this several times throughout this series. For it is by grace through faith that we are saved. It is not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. It is not from works so that no one may boast. So we are saved by grace through faith. Not only has grace saved us, but grace has empowered us to not live in sin. And this is where, throughout the series, throughout our idea of grace, where there often seems to be a line. Some people have thought that grace was just what saves us. Some people have thought that grace has allowed us to live however we desire. And if that's all that we think of grace, then we will likely live a powerless life. So grace saves us. Yes, thank you for God's grace. But grace also empowers us to not sin. Titus 2, 11 through 15. You guys are familiar with this as we brought it up several times. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we're waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, God who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify himself, a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. 
And that's where the dividing has happened. You see, some people have thought that grace, I'll just go live however I want and God will, God's grace will cover me. And then what this is telling us, what Titus here is telling us is, hey, look, God's empowered us. God's equipped us. He wants us to live a godly life. He wants us to be pure and holy. He wants us to avoid wickedness. So we can't just think of grace as just empowerment. We can't just think of grace as a covering. We have to think of grace as the entirety of Jesus. Amen? But Paul continues in uh, Titus in verse 15, and he says this. Then these are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. So what Paul continues here to say is, hey, look, teach these things. What things are to be taught? Teach that grace offers salvation. Teach that grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness, worldly passions, to live a self-controlled life, upright and godly lives. So that's what grace is. So throughout the series, grace has saved us. Grace has empowered us to not sin. We've also learned that grace gives us freedom. There's, you can wear cowboy hats and hat in church. Cowboy hats and Jesus still love you. You can wear Crocs in church and Jesus still love you. You can wear shorts in church and Jesus still be okay with your heart. What uh, Samuel tells us is this, is man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the what? The heart. God looks at the heart. So we are free to dance. We are free to um, spin. We are free to sit in our seats in worship. We are free to stand in worship. Amen. We are free. We've learned in the series that we are free. We are free to worship God. We've also learned that we are adopted as God's children. We've learned that by grace we can endure through hardship. We have learned that by grace we can love others. We have learned that by grace we can be generous people. So we must ask the question, how do we grow in grace? How do we solidify grace? How do we mature in grace? How do we get stronger in grace? Or differently said, how do we increase in our knowledge and relationship with grace? Because as Christians, as people who desire to have a relationship with him, we should want to grow in our relationship with grace. The simple answer is this. To grow in grace, we must take personal ownership in our decisions. I think that's where we've been lacking to grow in grace, we must take personal ownership in our decisions. Therefore, to finish this series, we are going to turn to 2 Peter 3. Now, this letter that Peter is writing is written to all believers. I'll just prove that to you real quick. 2 Peter 1, 1b. 
to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received faith um, as precious our um, as precious our ours as ours I guess I have it yeah okay so to those who through righteousness of our God and Savior so to to who those who are in faith so in this letter in Second Peter his concern is mainly for three things false teaching the day of the Lord, which meaning the end of time, and Christian growth in their living. So Christians growing, the end of time, and false teaching. So 2 Peter 3, 1 through 10. Here we go. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and com uh, the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. But these waters also, or sorry, by these water, waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear like with a, with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. So remember, the idea of today is that to grow in grace, we must take personal ownership in our decisions. So what Peter is getting at here is, um, I think, pretty simple. What he's saying here is, look, the end of time is coming quickly. And because of that, because the end is coming quickly, we need to be spurred on to wholesome thinking. What he's saying is, because the end is drawing near and it's happening quickly, take personal ownerships. Take personal ownership in the decisions that you make. How do we do that? We first start with wholesome thinking. Now, Paul reiterates this 
idea of wholesome thinking in 2 Corinthians 10. Verse 5, he says this, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. See, sometimes where we justify ourselves is we think that if we just think it and we don't take action on it, then we're okay. Now, in the Old Testament, it was said, what? That if you commit adultery, if you sleep with another man's wife, you've committed adultery. But in the New Testament, what does Jesus say? Even if you think after a woman with lust, you've committed adultery. So we can't go and say, because I haven't committed the action that I haven't sinned. What Peter's telling us, what Paul is reiterating, is we have to fight the battle. We have to grow in our minds. Amen? Now, to wholesomely think, it means we need to take control of our thoughts. Remember, grace empowers us. It doesn't enable us. When we were saved, we were not zapped to become robots and always make the right decisions. Also, when we were saved, it also didn't mean that we are able to live however we want and God be okay with it. Um, likewise, when Jesus died, his sacrifice wasn't limited to only saving us from hell. Amen? He didn't just save us from hell. And I think that's sometimes what we think as well, is Jesus is, we limit the cross that Jesus died on. He died the death that we were supposed to die. And he lived the life we were supposed to live. And what we've done is we've limited his work and his death on that cross just to save us from hell. Now, praise God, it saves us from hell. But it also saves us from sin. It saves us into a relationship with him. It saves us so that we can become holy and righteous. Amen? And that starts with wholesome thinking. His death gave us the power to take captive every thought. We were actually given power, love, and self-control at his death and resurrection. 2 Timothy 1.7 says this, um, for the spirit of God gave us, for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but it gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So when we became new believers, or when we became believers, when we became a new creation, what spirit did we possess? For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love and self-discipline. So you say, how am I supposed to fight and take captive every thought? With the spirit of God that is inside of you. Amen? Y'all don't like this message today. And God desires that no one would perish. That's why these warnings are coming. 
So he's patient with us. And God's timing is not our timing. And that's why Peter says, hey, look, scoffers are coming. And they're saying that everything that's going on is a lie. But God is being patient. He's coming soon. So he's saying, take captive every thought. Live into wholesome thinking. Therefore, because God's timing is not our timing, because God's timing is different than ours, Peter makes sure why we know it's important that Jesus is coming soon. And I think if Peter could say it in one sentence, he would say it this way. People who live with eternity in mind are people who live as they ought. So Peter mentions here, hey, look, wholesome thinking, start thinking wholesomely. Why? Because Jesus is returning soon. And since Jesus is returning soon, we all need to live as we ought. People who increase in grace are people who live as they ought. People who grow in grace are people who live as they ought. People who mature in grace are people who live as they ought. Verse 11. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you be? So Peter's asking this question. What kind of people ought you be since everything's going to be destroyed? To me, I hear tones of this. If this uh, were all to end tomorrow, who were you? If this were all to end tomorrow, what did your life represent? That's what I hear Peter asking the question. Hey, this could all end today. How did you live? Let's continue. Uh, Verse 11b. What kind of people ought you be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. The day will bring about destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. It's like Peter here is reminding us that there's a strong link between our hope and grace and our daily conduct. There's a strong link between our hope and his return and our daily conduct. And I think we can all agree what or who you are looking to will greatly influence how and who you are living for. So today, are we sulking and thinking most about our Buckeyes lost again? Is our tail just tucked between our rear? Or, Or are we focused on his return? Are we worried more about his return and his coming? What do we long for the most? Do we long for his return the most or do we long for our desires the most? Where's our attention today? Is our attention on whatever we think about earthly the most or his return? 
because I'll say it again. Um, what or who you are looking to will greatly influence how and who you are living for. What are you looking to today? And what Peter is trying to share with us is this, is if we keep his return in mind, we will live as we ought. For example, if, typical example I typically use, right? If someone passes six people and you are all the way up front because you were the slow person going 35 in a 50, and you get past and someone swerves in front of you and you get mad at them and your typical response is, well, how dare you pass me, right? And you think these thoughts in your mind and get frustrated with them. Well, if you, Jesus, was returning at 12 o'clock tonight, would you think that? Would you think it? No, you wouldn't, right? If you knew Jesus was returning in an hour, how different would your life look? That is a serious question. If we knew that Jesus was returning in one hour, how different would our life look? Would you be here? Or would you be eating Chick-fil-A? Well, you wouldn't be eating Chick-fil-A because they're not open on Sunday because that's the right thing to do. <laughs> You'd be eating Chipotle or Hothead. What Peter's trying to get at is this, is desire Jesus' return. Because as a Christian, what are, do we desire to escape hell or do we desire to be with Jesus? We ask that throughout the study of Revelation, right? And if we desire to be with Jesus, and if that's what our heart desires the most, then what should we do? We should desire his return. We should look to his return. And if we're looking to his return today, if we're desiring him the most out of our life, and we're saying, Jesus, I just look to your return, then the decisions that we make all the way down to our thoughts should be impacted. That's what Peter is spurring us onto, your thoughts. You should live the way that you ought. What kind of people ought we be, he says? You ought to be people who live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God. So, that's why Peter says, as we look forward to the day of God, as we look to heaven, as we look to him, we are made pure. 1 John 3, 3 says this, all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. So as we look to heaven, as we look to him, what happens? All who have hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Who has hope in Jesus today? I have hope in Jesus today. So what we have here is, is, is we have a command. We have an action to, to take. What's the action that's being told um, in 1 John? All who have hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. We are told to purify ourselves. Jesus does the ultimate purification, amen? Jesus does the purification that no man can do. But what does he want us to do? 
He doesn't want us to create our own holiness because we can't. What this means is to purify ourselves means this, that we yield to the Spirit's leading in our life. We yield to it. This means we do as we ought. Where he goes, we go. Where he stays, we stay. We have this connection because we're looking to him each day. Because where he goes, it's not going to be leading us to sin. Amen? Where he stays, it's not going to be keeping us, or it's not, it's not going to be leading us to sin. So what's happening here is we're told to wholesomely think. We're told to live as we ought. And living as we ought means live holy and godly lives that look forward to him. But here's where, and, and I think we understand that. Each day we understand, hey, I need to live a holy life. Hey, I need to generally look to his return. I understand I shouldn't think that way. But here's where I think we may miss the mark, is Peter doesn't stop here with telling us to do those things. But here's what he continues in. He says, we must make every effort. We as believers must make every effort. Not some effort, not a little bit of effort. Every effort. Verse 14 so then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, to me, that kind of feels passive aggressive. If I'm in a conversation with Peter and he's telling me this, he's like, well, hey, Joey, since you're looking forward to this, because he knows I'm looking forward to it, but he also kind of knows possibly like I'm not. So he's like, hey, since you're looking forward to this, here's what you need to do. Since you're looking forward to his return, since you guys have hope in Jesus, since you guys are looking forward to his return, what are you supposed to do? Make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Make every effort. And like, how does this have anything to do with grace? We're going to hopefully get you there. Peter says, hey, since you desire to be with God, to make every effort. I wonder how many of us have fallen short in making every effort. Because some of us have understood, amen, some of us have understood this, that grace is the great cover-up. And when we understand grace as the great cover-up, guess what happens? We don't make every effort. Why do I need to make every effort if grace is the great cover-up? Do I need to? No. Why would I make every effort? Because God, God's going to do it. Instead, when we understand grace as the great empowerment, that God has empowered us, given us everything that we need, then we start understanding that we have everything we need to make an effort. So make every effort to be found spotless and blameless and at peace with him. Though we make every effort, 
Our effort doesn't earn our salvation. It's not what's being preached today. But our full effort is evidence of God's grace in our life. God's power in our life. Peter says, make every effort to be found spotless and blameless and at peace with him. Because this is growing in grace. This is maturing in grace. When we have our minds and our bodies focused on him, we don't have time to make poor decisions. When we look to his return, we don't have time to make poor decisions. And unfortunately, most people are making every effort to improve their ephemeral, worldly lives. So I ask you, where is your effort going? This past week, this past year, this past season, where is your effort going? Career, lust, money, self, sports, acceptance, free time, retirement, politics, new relationships, sports, more sports, Buckeyes. I heard a really poor joke about Michigan people the other day. I'm not going to dare share it with you, don't ask, but I laughed. Sports, right? What is your effort going to? Because what the Bible is telling us, where our hope, the thing that gives us hope, what is it telling us? To make every effort to live holy lives that are focused on him. Where's your effort going? Where is your effort going? Is your effort going towards him or is your effort going towards you? And within reason, the things that are listed are not bad things. They're not. But when they become the focus, we are missing it. So I ask, what is dominating your life today? What is dominating your efforts? What is getting every effort in your life? Because scripture tells us this, 1 John 2, 17, the world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So all these things that we're giving our efforts to, the list, right? Career, lust, money, self, acceptance, sports, free time, politics, new relationships, retirement. All these things will pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says this. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Are you giving every effort to things that are seen that one day will pass away? Or are you giving every effort and making every effort for the things that are unseen that have heavenly rewards? Where is your effort today? These unbiblical desires that we have will pass away with the world, but heaven is eternal. To grow in Christ, we must make an effort.
Grace does not mean we don't make an effort. The sign of grace in your life is the sign of power, of love, of self-control. And that means that if you have grace in your life, you are making an effort. Peter continues, be on guard and grow in grace. Verse 15, bear in mind that our Lord's patient, patience means salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard, that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort. Don't you? How many of us have called people at work that? Or people in our... It's biblical. Paul said it, I can say it, Right? These ignorant and unstable people. So these ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. Verse 18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. So what is he telling us to do? Grow in grace. Don't distort the scriptures the way that people have distorted the scriptures. And some of the ways that scriptures have been distorted and what Peter is trying to combat here is, hey, he's telling us we have to make every effort to live holy and to live pure and to live for God. So where the scriptures have been distorted and what Peter is combating is people who have come and said that, hey, just live however you want. Become a Christian and don't have power in your life. We are not to be carried away by the error of the lawless. This means that we are not to live as if it does not matter how we live. Amen? This does not matter. We are to live as if it does not matter how we live. We shouldn't think that we can break God's law and liberty. Sorry. We shouldn't think that we can break God's law with liberty. Instead, we are to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Rightly understood grace is not that which allows us to get away with behaving badly, but, in, but instead it's that which we grow in, we mature in, we get to know him more. So how do we grow in grace? Number one, we keep the end in mind. Because if we keep the end in mind, and what's the end? Well, the end is ultimately his return. 
the prophetic signs that we see as we went through the book of Revelation of his return getting nearer and nearer. But that's just not the end. The end could be on the way home as we're driving. A lot of people often said, you know, on your deathbed, I don't think you uh, would wish you argued with your spouse more, right? And why they're sharing that with you is they're trying to say, hey, some of these arguments that you're having with your spouse, they're just really irrelevant. So likewise, when we have the end in mind, when we face Jesus, there's gonna be a lot of people who say, I wish I wasn't concerned with myself so much. I wish I would have listened to the invitation of my friends and family members to come to know Jesus. So we must keep the end in mind, and having the end in mind should impact what we do today. How do we grow in grace? We know scripture so that we are not deceived. Peter talks about the deception. We grow in grace by knowing um, scriptures. Growing in grace includes developing a deeper understanding of the scope of what God has personally done for us through his word and through his son. This leads to an intense appreciation and closeness, which will then drive us to obey him fully. We must get to know his word. If we want to grow in grace, we have to know his word. What else do we have to do based upon today's scripture? We live as we ought. We do the things we're supposed to do. And many of you guys have heard this. Some of you have not. I think of the story of King David. When we read the story of King David, before he makes a poor decision, it says this. It was the season of war when men were supposed to be at war. Well, who is King David? He is the leader. Right? And where should leaders and where should kings be? Out at war. They're the commanders. They're instructing everyone. Well, where was King David? King David was not with his men. Where was he? He was back home. So if King David was where he was supposed to be, would Bathsheba have happened? No. So we are people who, who are supposed to live as we ought. And if we're living as we ought, if we're living as we're supposed to live, then a lot of the decisions, if, we're, if we are where we're supposed to be, then a lot of the things that come our way will not happen. Amen? And that first starts with wholesome thinking. If our mind is not being taken captive, then we're going to be led astray. So we live as we ought, and then we make every effort to live for him. Every effort, every effort. And I wanted to end with the scripture, 1 Thessalonians 4 that confirms a lot of what we've said today. Verse one. Christian brothers, we ask you, because of the Lord Jesus, to keep on living in a way that will please God. I have already told you how to grow in the Christian life. So here's what we see here. This admonition to live for God, to make this effort to live for him. And then what's being told next is, I've already told you how to grow in the Christian life. 
So some of that's going to be reiterated here. So MCF, Joey included. People of God, Joey included. Here's how we are supposed to live for Christ. The Lord Jesus gave us the right and the power to tell you what to do. God wants you to be holy. God wants that from you today. You must keep away from sex sins. God wants each of you to use his body in the right way by keeping, in ho- by keeping it holy and by respecting it. You should not use it to please your own desires like the people who uh, do not know God. No man should do wrong to his Christian brothers in anything. The Lord will punish a person who does. I have told you this before. For God has not called us to live in sin. He has called us to live a holy life. The one who turns away from this teaching does not turn away from man, but from God. It is God who gave, sorry, it is God who has given us his Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit in us today. You do not need anyone to write to you about loving your Christian brothers. God has taught you to love each other. You love all the Christians in um, all the country of Macedonia. But we ask you to love them even more. Increase your love for one another. Do your best to live a quiet life. Learn to do your own work well. We told you about this before. By doing this, you will be respected by those who are not Christians. Then you will not be in need and others will not have to help you. We have to take personal responsibility. Growing in grace means we make every effort to do as God asks. Grace isn't the great cover-up. Grace does cover, but it also empowers and transforms us. One author said this, but you will remark that our text does not say anything about grace growing. It does not say that grace grows. It tells us to grow in grace. This is a vast difference between grace growing and our growing in grace. God's grace never increases. It is always infinite. So it cannot be more and it is always everlasting. It is always bottomless. It is always shoreless. It cannot be more. And in the nature of God, it cannot be less. The text tells us to grow in grace. We are in the sea of God's grace. We cannot be in a deeper sea. But let us grow now. We are, let us grow now that we are in it. So as we end this series, grace is multifaceted. That's why we wanted to share this series. I know that a lot of what I shared about was the empowerment of grace. And then others shared about the love of grace and enduring with grace. And how grace just saves us. We are saved by grace, amen? And what we 
I, as we discussed this, really wanted to happen in this is this, is that we quit thinking about grace as simply one-dimensional. Grace is not just a cover-up. Grace is so much more. And as we leave here today, I just go back to, I don't want to play Christian anymore. I don't want to play church anymore. And I think what happens is this, is if we take a message like today, not based upon my words, not based upon my commentary, but simply based upon what the scriptures say, if we take the scriptures that we've heard today and we go home and we do nothing with it, and then we come back here next week and we smile and we shake hands, and then we hear the word and do nothing with it, then what are we doing? We're playing church. I don't want to play church. I don't want us to play church. So I'm pleading today, take the words of Scripture seriously. And the way that we grow in grace today, according to the Scriptures, is to look to his return, to take captive every thought and make them wholesome, right? To repent of our sins, to live holy lives that seek after him, and to make every effort to do it. Every effort. Every effort. Not a few. Every effort. I'll ask you this question again, asked it before. If my parents growing up told me to clean my room and I went and I made my bed but didn't pick up the toys and they came to me and said, hey, Joey, I told you to clean your room and you said, I know, I made my bed. Was I obedient? Did I clean a piece of my room? Yes. Was I obedient? No. Why wasn't I obedient? Because there's not partial obedience. There's full obedience. When my parents told me to clean my room and I went and made my bed and didn't clean my room, I can't say that I cleaned my room. Likewise, where we get deceived is we think that participating in partial obedience is full obedience. And there's no such thing as partial obedience. Do you guys agree with that today? There's obedience and there's disobedience. So we can't think that there's a... I want to be careful. Um, I want to be careful because God knows the effort that we can give. And we know when we can give more. So I'm not comparing efforts amongst people. The Holy Spirit in you, the new creation in you, will lead you to tell you that there's more of an effort. That you can give more of an effort. Amen? So what I wanted to give an opportunity to, number one... Um, Just admit to God and man. Scripture says, confess to God to be uh, forgiven. Confess to man to be healed. What Scripture is telling us to live a vulnerable life in front of people. And as, as we live a vulnerable life, then we can be healed. So I just want to give you guys the opportunity today just by standing or raising your hand, saying, God, I want to make every effort. I know that I can make more efforts today. Not a response at the altar, just by standing and saying, I know I can make better efforts for you, God. And no music, no nothing. Maybe there's just one. 
I'm standing saying, God, today I know I can make a better effort for you. So let's just close our eyes and just provide you a space to talk to him about that. Father, as we sit here thinking about efforts and grace, I pray that uh, my heart, not saying that we can earn our righteousness or earn holiness, that we deserve anything, Father, other than hell. I'm not preaching works, Father. I pray that that would be clear. But there is an effort that you want us to give. And Father, that effort becomes easier when our heart is focused on you and your return. So I pray today that you would help us make every effort. Father, where you have knocked on our door and we've quit hearing that knock because we're now dull to it, that we would repent of that. That we would turn from that. That we would hear your knock and we would make those decisions in our brain, in our mind to have wholesome thinking. Help us take captive every thought, Father. Pray that you would forgive us today. Increase your Holy Spirit in us. Give us more of your Holy Spirit today. Father, I pray that a true repentance would take place. May that word not be scary. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen.